Greetings, YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. It's Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. Here at Professor Liberty, we bring real education to the unwashed masses, and we didn't have to get our lesson approved by any major woke corporation, government organization, or globalist elite. They might start censoring me someday, but until then, it's just you and I, us few band of brothers. Well, honestly, I think old Zuckerberg over at Fascist Book seems to be throttling the reach of my humble Professor Liberty page. If you're not following Professor Liberty on Facebook, please do so. But I swear, you know, I get new followers all the time, but for some reason, the total amount of followers never seems to change. Now, if you give him money, magically your numbers go up. Hmm. Anyways, we're not here to whine and complain about all that. We're here to continue our series on the first Americans. Today, we're going to discuss the Cherokee, or to be more specific, the Cherokee Nation. The Cherokee were a large group of Indians living in the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, and even Virginia. They were related to the Iroquois. You might remember the Iroquois. We covered them last week. The name Cherokee means people who live in the mountains or people of different speech. Now, I'm not sure on that. I got uh, two different sources saying two different things. Regarding their social structure, they were very similar to the Iroquois, which makes sense because they're related. The women tended the camp and the kids while the men hunted and went to war. And just like the Iroquois, the women held quite a bit of political and social influence among the people. Marriage among the Cherokee was a very important institution, and it was seen in many ways as a means of diplomacy. Many Cherokee would intermarry with other tribes as means to strengthen political bonds. The Cherokees did this with the Europeans as they came to America as well. Slate.com writes, It is impossible to know the exact number of Cherokees who married Europeans during the 16th and 17th century, but we know that Cherokees viewed intermarriage as both a diplomatic tool and as a means of incorporating Europeans into their bonds of kinship, unquote. The Cherokee were known as one of the civilized tribes because they adopted many of the European cultures willingly. They converted to Christianity, they learned English, and they even wore Western-style clothing. Personally, I feel this is what's most disturbing about the Cherokee story, and I'll explain as we move on. Here's a group of people dedicated to assimilation, and they still were treated poorly. One of the main arguments for treating natives poorly was that they were, quote, savages. Well, the Cherokee proved that common sentiment wrong. So we're not going to be able to sugarcoat this one, boys and girls. This is a sad story of greed and prejudice on the part of white settlers that brought about the Cherokee's demise. The Cherokee also... Here's a did you know for the day. Did you know the Cherokee also created their own alphabet due to the diligent work of Sequoia? OKHistory.org writes, Having noted that the white men could convey their thoughts on talking leaves, Sequoia believed that he could devise a similar method for the Cherokee. He first attempted to make a symbol for every word but that was found to be too cumbersome. He then struck upon an idea of making a symbol for every sound in the Cherokee language. 
Eventually, he came up with 86 sounds. This was later reduced to 85. He used it on his daughter. The system proved to be trustworthy, and he proposed it before the Cherokee Council in 1821. Unquote. Interestingly enough, one of the aspects of European culture they adopted that perhaps wasn't so civilized was the enslavement of Africans. Yep, folks, some Cherokee owned black slaves. So here we are, two for two, regarding native tribes and their acceptance and utilization of slavery. I thought slavery was just for white Americans. Wasn't, isn't that what the 1619 Project is teaching? Wasn't America founded because of slavery? So why are Cherokees involved? That's weird. Did you know that most Cherokees sided with the Confederacy during the Civil War? I bet you didn't know that. Now, I'm not saying this to disparage the Cherokee. What I am doing is showing how complex history is. And just by doing a small, minuscule amount of research, you can see that the common Marxist oppressor versus oppressed narrative that you parents are paying your college 50 grand to teach your kids just doesn't hold up. You know, we live in this age of information, and yet we seem to be getting stupider and stupider. But that's for another podcast. Slate.com writes, By the early 19th century, a small group of wealthy Cherokee adopted racial slavery, acquiring black slaves from American slave markets. In a a bit more than 7% of Cherokee families owned slaves by the mid-1830s. And Slate goes on to say this is why the idea among African Americans, uh, this idea of Uh, Cherokee descent is so pervasive among many uh, in that community. The Cherokee were avid traders and had an extensive political and economic network long before the Europeans showed up. Unfortunately, the Cherokee story is a bit sad. Uh, Once the Europeans are involved, uh, it's really a story of misery and in some cases bad luck. Uh, for example, the, the, the Cherokee sided with the French during the French-Indian War. Well, the French lost that war, and so did the Cherokee. And when they lost that war, they lost much of their ancestral lands as a consequence. When white settlers encroached on their lands in Georgia and the surrounding area, the white folk wanted the Indians out, and Georgia began making laws against the Cherokee in an attempt to compel them to leave. With the help of Christian missionaries, the Cherokee protested through the courts, which any civilized people would do. In Worcester versus Georgia, the Supreme Court decided that the Cherokee Nation was indeed a sovereign foreign nation, and they had the right to the lands in Georgia. Well, that didn't matter because no one listened to the Supreme Court, and Congress passed, and President Jackson executed the Indian Removal Act. The lesson here, folks, is that the Supreme Court has no enforcement power. They can decree something unconstitutional all they want. That doesn't mean we're bound to obey them. Anyway, I digress. Britannica.com writes, Georgia officials ignored the court's decision. President Andrew Jackson refused to enforce it, and Congress passed the Indian Removal Act of 1830 to facilitate the eviction of of the tribal members from their home and territory. 
Removal was implemented by 7,000 troops commanded by General Winfield Scott. Scott's men moved throughout Cherokee territory, forcing people from their homes at gunpoint, unquote. The Cherokee were forcibly removed from Georgia and other areas, and they had to travel to what is now Oklahoma. This forced removal will eventually become what is known as the Trail of Tears. According to Britannica.com, the march took 116 days and resulted in the death of at least 4,000 Cherokee and other natives. I'd like to mention something about the whites' attitude towards the Cherokee, uh, and we discussed this a bit already, but we have to remember that white America is not an all, a, mon, a monolith, right? They don't all, they're not all racist. A lot of them were, but many whites, especially the Christian missionaries, tried to help the Cherokee. And regarding President Jackson's relationship with the Indians, that's really complex as well. I mean, he made his name as an Indian fighter, but some of the Indian tribes uh, allied with him. He was friends with some of the Indian tribes, uh, the Cherokee being one of them at one time. Ill-advised as the policy might be, Jackson believed that this policy of removal was best for everyone. It would separate the Cherokee from the whites and in Oklahoma, perhaps the Cherokee could find peace and be left alone. Thoughtco.com writes, At various times in his early military career, Jackson had been allied with indigenous people, but had also waged brutal campaigns against them. His attitude towards indigenous tribes was not unusual for the times. Though by today's standards, he would be considered a racist, as he believed tribal members were inferior to whites, Jackson also believed them to be like children who needed guidance. And by that way of thinking, Jackson may have believed by forcing indigenous people to move hundreds of miles westward may be for their own good, since he believed they would never fit into Western society, unquote. You guys, we're still seeing this today, okay? And I don't want to get super political but you still have white people out there speaking for minorities and speaking for so-called oppressed groups as if they know what's best for them. It's called the white savior complex. So J Jackson might have been exhibiting some of that. He knew what was best for the Indian. Just like so many liberals out here know what's best. So many white liberals know what's best for black people. It's the same thing, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. I guess you could argue that the solution was worse than the problem. And yes, greed and racism were mostly at play here. But I just want to point out that these 19th century folks were doing the best to deal with an issue that in most cases they inherited. Hatred and prejudice are still with us today. How are we dealing with that? I've brought up things like this before. Take a look at abortion, for example, which no matter how you come down on the issue, the fact remains a baby is killed. Now, some states are liberal in regards to abortion policies. Some states are more restrictive. And you know what? That's just like slavery and just like Indian relations. There were different states acting in different ways. It's easy to sit from on high and judge the past with our own high sense of morality but is our morality indeed higher today? Unfortunately, the sad story doesn't end there. After settling in Oklahoma, whites came for their lands again, after they were promised to be left alone. 
And this is something that infuriates me, boys and girls, uh, and I'll get to it a little later, but the U.S. government's inability to keep a single promise is just embarrassing and wrong and unjust. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely a black mark on our history. Cherokee.org, which is the official website of the Cherokee Nation, writes, By the end of the 1800s, sentiment in the United States turned towards moving Indians to reservations and opening up their lands for occupation and Western expansion. The Cherokee Nation had been promised by treaty that they would not be bothered in their new home and would never be removed again. Instead, the U.S. chose to create a new state and allot tribe land out of those individual owners. With Oklahoma statehood in 1907, the Cherokees suddenly became landowners and state citizens. Much of Cherokee Nation's infrastructure was dissolved, including schools, courts, and most of its government. And I have to tell you one thing. This just really cooks my goat. The United States cannot keep a promise. Every treaty the Cherokee and other natives agreed to, the U.S. broke all of them or violated them in some way. If I were a Cherokee, I would be very bitter and very suspicious regarding the U.S. government. They definitely have a right to be suspicious and bitter. Uh, homeschoolers, if you want to look into this, just Google violation of native treaties by the U.S. government, and they will have a timeline of every treaty, uh, you know, promised or every treaty agreed to that the U.S. government would eventually violate. It's, it's pretty sad. It's pretty disgusting. Well, there you have it, boys and girls, the Cherokee, a proud and great people who were industrial, clever, diplomatic, and tried their best to mold themselves into the greater white culture emerging in the United States in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Their assimilation was so profound, it's one of the reasons why everyone claims to have Cherokee heritage. Unfortunately, racism and greed would incite many whites to push out the Cherokee, which is sad and ugly in many ways. I admire the Cherokee for their attempt to play by the American rules. They embraced many ways the American ideas of justice for all. But too bad those in power didn't believe the same thing. Cherokee leader John Ross, whose father was Scottish, summed it up best when he said, If we had one square mile left, the whites of Georgia would not have been satisfied unless they could get it. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Send me all your government, economics, and history questions there. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook or on Parlor, just search for Professor Liberty. Until next time, boys and girls, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.